0: A voice of many voices, WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, and on the web at WERU.org, Grassroots Community Radio.
1: And this is Maine Currents, independent local news, views, and culture. I'm your host, Amy Brown, joined today by John Greenman, who's usually on the other side of the glass from me.
2: <laughs> you're punching the buttons. That's
1: right, right. We've switched roles. Welcome, John.
2: Thank you. you too. Good to be here. And listen, you out there, fundraising time, you all know 1-800-643-6273. You've heard it many, many times, 1-800-643-6273. Why do we say that so often? Because you're involved and you're our future.
1: Yeah, and and... People we know support independent media. we had a great crowd over the weekend at the Amy Goodman event. People know how important independent media is. But part of the equation of independent media is local support, is supporting it with your contribution. So please call 1-800-643-6273.
2: It makes it independent. It makes it totally unbound to the bigger staff out there that uh, sort of prescribe what we should be thinking. We have an independent way of looking at things, and I think that's why you're there right now. WERU.org 1-800-643-6273.
1: Right, and we'll be back to thank people and repeat that number again. We have some clips today from, uh, well, as listeners have probably heard. Almost 1,400 people packed the Collins Center at University of Maine on Monday. the The facility holds 1,400 people. There were barely any seats available at a meeting that was organized by Senator Angus King. He brought Jonathan Jarvis, the director of the U.S. National. Park Service to Orono and earlier in the day to East Millinocket to hear from the public about how they feel about a designation or a proposal to designate land east of Baxter State Park as a national monument. Uh, A national monument... Can be designation can be made by the president, whereas a national park designation requires the approval of Congress. Roxanne Quimby's family is offering 87,500 acres of land for a Katahdin Woods and Waters National Monument or park and millions of dollars to support it, as her son, Lucas St. Clair, explained at the meeting Monday.
3: Very briefly, uh, Lucas, where are you? I'm going to ask uh, uh, Lucas to present the, the proposal itself, and then we'll go from there into questions and answers.
4: King for hosting this meeting, and Director Jarvis for coming to the state of Maine. It's great to have you here. Like you, I think it's critical to hear from the folks who have taken the time to be here tonight. I've had the privilege to speak with a lot of you, and I know that to a fault every one of you loves the state of Maine and wants the very best for this state. While not always do we agree, I know that to be true. I value the time that you've given me and the way you've helped this idea get better over time. So thank you all for being here. My name is Lucas St. Clair, I'm the president of Elliottsville Plantation, which is a nonprofit foundation that was established by my family and is designed to promote land conservation in the state of Maine. I was born in Dover Foxcroft and I grew up hunting and fishing and enjoying the outdoors in the north woods of Maine. Now, along with my wife, Yamaya, I take my children to those same places and I still hunt and fish and love the outdoors. Yamaya and I have two children. Gabriella, who's five, <laughs> and Waylon, who's two. Gabriella, can you <laughs> to that. I'm officially going around the state and talking a lot about national monuments, I'm also slowly learning to play the guitar. It's going slowly. The other morning, I was picking away at the guitar while Gabrielle was getting ready for school and she came up to me and she said, Papa, I hope you're better at creating national monuments than you are at playing the guitar. (laughs) For her sake and mine, I hope she's right. (laughs) In all seriousness, the idea of creating a national monument in the Katahdin region grew out of hundreds, maybe thousands of conversations, one cup of coffee at a time. And over the past several years, we've listened, And we've refined our proposal to make it unique to Maine. The Foundation would like to donate 87,500 acres of land that it owns to create a new national monument east of Baxter State Park in the Katahdin region. During my time talking to so many of you, we've heard your concerns and have worked to address them. Outdoor recreation is part of the heritage and the culture of our state and we've made sure that the activities that we all care about will be permanently protected. With the creation of this monument, snowmobile trails east of the east branch of the Penobscot River will be guaranteed forever, and hunting on the same land will also be guaranteed forever. We talk a lot about the economic benefits of the National Monument, and those are real and they're important, and I know snowmobiling and hunting are critical to the economy in northern Maine. But they're more than that. They're also part of the fabric of these communities and the family traditions of people who live in the Katahdin region, and I promise through this proposal they will be protected. In addition to contributing the land, we will create a $40 million endowment. That endowment will offset the costs of maintenance and operations. And practically speaking, that endowment means that investments could start soon after designation putting people to work quickly. Conservation is important to me, and it's important to our foundation. But we're also committed to making an investment in the Katahdin region that will create jobs and help to spark economic revitalization in communities having a hard time. economic studies predict that a new national park unit would create hundreds of jobs while drawing new families and new energy to a part of the state that needs both. The struggles of Maine's paper industry are no secret. Five mills have closed in the last three years and hundreds of people have lost their jobs, and we feel for them. A new national monument isn't a silver bullet. No one thing is. But a major recreational attraction in the interior of northern Maine can be a part of a new economic foundation that will create, create opportunities for new businesses to start and existing businesses to grow. All told, all told the National Monument will and endow, endowment represents a $100 million investment in the Katahdin region of the state of
1: Again, that was Lucas St. Clair speaking on Monday, and you are listening to Maine Currents. I'm Amy Brown here with John Greenman. And It looks like one of the phone lines was lit up, but we haven't had any cards in here. So we're going to give the phone number again real quick before we continue on with our coverage of Monday's meeting. 1-800-643-6273.
2: Just really quickly, Amy, I, I just have always marveled at what you cover and what is covered on WERU, whether it's the Searsport tank, lobster fishing, or mercury contamination. the, the Now it's the Northwoods uh, Monument, Penobscot, Indian uh, concerns. Uh, we are, ERU does cover the, the broad, the broad broad issues all over the place, and specifically for our community, and that's what we're all about. 1 800 643 6273 is your way to say yes.
1: Right, and you know, this has been covered quicker by the newspaper who had it out like that evening on their, uh, at least on their online version. But what we're doing differently when we cover these things a lot of times is we're bringing you a lot of the public comment um, section. You right. didn't get that anywhere else. A lot of the... Um, the mainstream media get their sound clip, and they leave, and you see oh, them filing off. Up the humanity. Yeah. Right, right. So that's what we're going to hear more of coming up. And we've got Bill and Connie out in the kitchen, and God knows what kind of trouble they're <laughs> going to get into if the phones don't ring. So call 1-800-643-6273 and keep them busy. All right, so up next, uh, there was a much smaller meeting in East Millinocket the morning of, Monday morning, before this larger meeting at the Collins Center took place, and it drew mostly opponents at that meeting, but this audience at the Collins Center was overwhelmingly in support, as evidenced by a sea of pro-monument t-shirts. Bangor Mayor Sean Faircloth, a Democrat, said he and the majority of the Bangor City Council support the proposal for a national park or monument, as did his predecessor, a Republican, because of the jobs it would bring to the region. And here's what some of the other supporters had to say we'll hear from the opponents a little bit later 1-800-643-6273
5: senator king director jarvis i'm roger milliken president of baskehegan a 96 year old family enterprise that grows and harvests trees on 120 acres in maine as a long-standing member of maine forest product industry i'm here in support of the proposed national monument Great Northern Paper Company is said to have fought to keep other employers out of Millinocket, protecting the workforce for itself alone. Today, it's clear how devastating that industry-centric model has been. Instead, we must encourage a diversity of economic opportunities. No one can say with certainty what benefits a monument would bring, but we can be sure that combined with the hope for investment in additional sawmills or plants producing pellets for modern wood heat, it would bring more economic activity than an investment in industry alone. Then a young engineer could find a job in a mill, and her husband, one in a business serving those drawn to the monument. The geographic heart of Maine could again become a magnet for those seeking a promising future. We in industry, distressed though we are by current trends, must move beyond reactive resistance to other uses of the forest and ask instead, what is in the best interest of all the residents of the Maine Woods? we need to do everything we can to make the main woods an engine of prosperity again that is why i strongly support the proposed monument thank you
6: uh, thank you senator king and director jarvis for coming and uh, listening to us today my name is barbara moore i'm a penobscot native from indian island and i have a great interest in supporting the National Monument. I think I, I take every opportunity to be able to uh, preserve the forest canopy and uh, the uh, environment in any kind of way. And I think that this is definitely something that is going to increase the need for a large area preserved that will continue to produce oxygen and help to support the uh, balance of nature that we have grown so far against. And we've got to start uh, taking steps to do that. We've got to start taking steps to do that right now. And for me, I'm, I'm very pleased with Roxanne and Lucas's desire to give us this land and to preserve it forever for everyone, for all of us, for all of our future, and all of our health, of our environment. Thank you. Uh,
7: My name is uh, John Neff, and uh, history is my game. And Senator King, Director Jarvis, I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, to give voice this afternoon to a number of people who are here only in spirit. And first of all, I would refer to our native brothers and sisters who inhabited these lands long before our ancestors and who had a deep and abiding uh, reverence for these sacred places. And that is something that is part of their heritage. I would want to give uh, voice also uh, to the number of uh, recreationists who have come through the years beginning in the 1840s and canoed and hiked and uh, were present in these very lands. I would, uh, I'm sure here today are some of the proprietors of the old sporting camps, uh, Boland's camps, the Hunt Farm, Little Spring Brook. And, of course, the Katahdin Wilderness Camps on Katahdin Lake. And don't forget Lung Camps, which is now the on-site uh, place uh, for uh, Still plantation lands. There are some individuals that are important and I think are present today. Certainly the presence of uh, Henry David Thoreau, who's been mentioned, he canoed down the Penobscot East Branch of the Kenobscot and then later extol the wonders of these lands in his later writings. Uh, Percival Proctor Baxter is here with us uh, at this time. Uh, He who came through these lands in 1920 to climb Katahdin and then went on to that magnificent obsession of protecting the lands not only of Katahdin itself but the lands around Katahdin. And then there's uh, the uh, spirit of Edwin uh, Frederick Edwin uh, Church, the great American uh, artist who is here as well. I think all of these and many more are present today, lending their voice, beckoning us uh, to preserve and protect these lands. They are worthy for it. Thank you.
8: Hi there uh, my name is Lindsay Downing and I am a local resident and I do support the National Park and National Monument um, there is a lot of national there is a lot of support out there um, in the local communities and I feel like I'm here tonight to, to really reiterate that to you uh, my husband and I first of all I live in Mount Chase I was born in Elanacket brought up in Mount Chase um, and my husband and I have recently had the opportunity to take over the family business which is a lodge. Um, which is located about 16 miles east of the Katahdin Woods and Waters northern entrance. Um, And like most kids in Maine, I was so excited to get out and see other things. And where did I go right when I graduated from high school, from college rather, was the National Parks. Um, and I was given the opportunity to work in national parks. I went to Yellowstone, I went to Joshua Tree, I went to Sequoia, I went to Yosemite. Then my husband and I ran a lodge up in uh, Kenai Fjords National Park. And national parks are the reason why we had the opportunity and the confidence to come up here um, and, and try give it a go. And if a national park or a national monument were to come to our backyard, it would support us and it would support everybody here. Um, you wouldn't see anybody sitting here right now if this land was not worthy of National Monument
1: designation. Um, I think everybody sitting here.
9: So to
8: just reiterate, you know, this is — the question is, is this land designate — is this land worthy? Absolutely, it's worthy. And if anybody who's saying that it's not worthy clearly hasn't hiked on it, biked on it, skied on it, Hunted or canoed on it. I mean, it is just incredible, and, and we really need your support in, in this. So, thank you very much.
3: Hello, I'm Carl Wilcox, resident of uh, New Gloucester down in northern Cumberland County. I was born and raised in Maine, lived here most of my life. and been a special engineer and uh, closer to my. There I'm a professional engineer and I've been a member of the Maine Public Paper Association for many years. Uh, I want to make a correction and sound the per- previous speaker that the paper companies were forced to sell their land by some odd reason. They did not. They sold their land at their own choice to uh, hedge funds. And I'm sure they got a great quarter, they got a great year, and they got a great bonus. But it was <laughs> their decision. It was their decision not to perfectly But, uh... Unfortunately, due to the internet, uh, the paper bills aren't coming back and you need to move on from your five stages of grief, from uh, denial, anger, on to acceptance. (laughs) And I talked to a gentleman, he retired, he lived in the town, I hadn't seen him a number of years, he bought a camp down the Golden Road and I said, what's going on up there? Why is everybody against this, this park? And he says, well, the political leaders don't have the guts to tell the people the truth. This is the truth about the Maine economy. Maine economy sucks. <laughs> it's the only state in New England that has not fully recovered its jobs from 2001. We're 32nd in the nation in median income. Unfortunately, the median income for Illinois is 38,500. That's equal to uh, West Virginia, 49th state in the nation. Uh, Maine is second, only behind Alaska, for food stamps. We're third in the nation for assistance to needy families. East Millinocket, 80% of the students receive or allow them to receive free lunch, another 10% reduced lunch. Great economy. We're firing all the (laughs) cylinders. April 29th, this is the most shocking thing. Senator uh, King released what was in the paper, wanted to sponsor a bill to study opioid affected babies that 8% of the babies in the state in 2015 were born to addicted moms. And in 2014, the Penobscot County, with which Millinocket's in, 16% of the babies were born to addicted moms. And then they said it was approaching now, since it's gone up, to like nearly 20%, one in five babies born to addicted moms. They need help.
10: It shouldn't cost $40 million to give 75,000 spectacular acres away. One of the, one of the fears could that you, I Could
3: you I, identify yourself, so.
10: Yes, yes. My name is John Hafford. I live in Midway, and I own a design and marketing firm in Milwaukee. Um, one, one of the fears that I've had is that Lucas would take his marbles and go home. So thank you for continuing to fight for this. Since I've been hearing you know arguments from both sides, I'm on the ground in, in Millinocket, so I hear both sides all the time. And one of the one of the things I hear a lot about is access. And you know I'm originally from Allagash, and when I try to go back to the land that my father and grandfather and his grandfather managed and, and uh, owned, I have to go through a gate, I have to pay a fee, I have to be out by seven. If I if I want to go to Lobster Lake, it's the same thing. So the access issue is something that I don't think is spoken to enough. There's a perception that you're either for the, if you're for the part that you're against manufacturing, you're against the forced products industry, I have a lot of clients that are in all sorts of different areas. And the one thing that I know, and everyone else should know by by now, is that the one thing we really need In the Katahdin region is a diversified economy it's small it's anything that works so this proposal if it if it were to go through would just be one piece of a larger picture that is absolutely critical the last the last point I'll make is that there's there's a lot of voice given to the people in Millinocket East Millinocket Patton and Medway And they've had the biggest and loudest voice in the whole thing, but that land, which is spectacular, and everything around it, there are all kinds of other lands that are equal to or even greater in that area, but that land belongs to the people in the state of Maine, and that land belongs to the people in this country, and I think the sooner we pull back the curtain and allow access, the quicker the whole area is going to recover. Thank you.
0: Good evening, George Smith from Mount Vernon. I'm the guy who distributed the Dan and bumper stickers. And for several years, when I was executive director of the Sportsman's Alliance in Maine, I was her principal opponent. But she reached out to several of us and started a series of meetings in which, surprised, I found that I liked her. And when Lucas took over, I was even more impressed. Lucas brought his national consultants, all of whom hunt and fish, as he does, to my home in Mount Vernon, got out the maps, and let me tell them what I wanted on each of the parcels that they own in the Northwood. And they've done everything I asked. So now I'm compelled to be a supporter of their ideas and initiatives. I focus much of my interest on the east branch of the Penobscot River. I fished on rivers in Alaska, Montana, Labrador, and Quebec. And I'm telling you, the east branch is a world-class river that could be a major destination for anglers and paddlers. Now, now, Linda and I own a camp on the other side of Mount Katahdin, and over the last two decades, I've seen the awful collapse of the area's economy. And I know they need help. We all know they need help. Linda and I spent three weeks in April in Arizona and Texas, including Big Bend National Park, and we met lots of people who had visited Maine. At least 75% of them had come to see Acadia National Park. Yes, national parks, monuments, forests, and wildlife reserves are places of great interest for all of us. We have some awesome national wildlife refuges right here in Maine. And my favorite state park, Pods is actually on federal land. It is possible to work together to protect our best places and build a sustainable economy. I'm sad that this project and so many other issues have divided us Mainers. We need to regroup, end the dysfunction and disappointment in our political and governing systems and create a great future for our children and grandchildren. If the president designates this place as a National Monument, then we need to put our aggravations and our differences aside and make the best of it. Thank
1: you. You're listening to Maine Currents on WERU-FM. I'm Amy Brown here with John Greenman. And those were some of the people speaking in support of a National Monument or National Park at Monday's meeting. Uh, Like I said earlier, about 1,400 people packed the Collins Center in Orono uh, overwhelmingly in support although there were some opponents and people speaking against the park as well and we'll hear from some of them in a few minutes but first we want to take a quick break and ask you to call 1-800-643-6273 and that's
5: always
2: the other side of the story you know there are usually two sides to a story but amy you and and very few other people in the state give dimension to those particular sides most places will say yes and no and you're we've covered it you know a short soundbite yes a short soundbite no we're done that's not important reporting that's not giving a dimension to the story so kudos and Thank and one eight hundred six four three six two seven three. if you believe the same way actually what we can do is take the kudos after we've heard the whole story
1: right and i think one of the most important parts of this is going to be the last half hour which is going to be basically a solid half hour of uh jarvis commissioner or director jarvis from the uh, u.s national park service answering the questions he wrote down every single question or concern that anyone had this meeting lasted nearly three and a half hours and if you want to hear the whole thing there's a link on weru's facebook page to the full audio for three and a half hours so obviously we had to select some pieces but we kept intact all of his responses and he did have responses to a lot of the questions that are raised uh by the opponents in different forms when they come up so uh we'll bring you the opponents first then we will go to uh, what jarvis had to say to answer those questions We'd love to hear from some of you at 1-800-643-6273. But like John said, if you want to wait until after the show's over, if you're listening to it, that's fine too. Just call in at some point and support independent media here on WERU. Here we uh, go to what some of those who are opposed to the National Park had to say. And interestingly, you will hear that uh, some of them... It doesn't seem like it's registering that this is private land. It seems that some of the opponents at least believe that they're going to have more access if this isn't designated as a national park or monument than they do now when it's private land. When in fact this is private land, if the Quimby family wanted to build a fence around it and build a giant mansion in the middle of it and say stay out, they could legally do that at this point. So anyway, here's what they had to say.
11: Uh, my name is James Robbins. I live in Searsport, Maine. My family's had sawmill there since 1881. We deployed about 105 people. And we're interested in this issue because we buy a lot of logs out of that part of Maine. Every 40 years or so, Northern Maine gets hit with a spruce budworm infestation, which kills most of the spruce and fir trees, it sets up a perfect situation for forest fires if the trees aren't harvested. The National Park Service doesn't harvest trees and lets natural fires burn unless they endanger human life. In recent years, Yellowstone National Park burned over 1,250 square miles, Yosemite, 402 square miles, Glacier, 212 square miles, and just a few weeks ago, over 10,000 acres burned in Shenandoah National Park. With this fact, we're getting setting ourselves up to the same scenario. The forest fires don't respect boundary lines, so are threatened adjoining the landowners. Despite recent paper mill closing, Maine still has a $7.5 billion forest industry and still needs the wood that this land is capable of producing. Everyone here knows that this National Monument Movement is really a back door to try to create a national park. Is the decision going to be based on the number of people busting in here from southern Maine by environmental groups, or is it going to be based on facts? The people who will be most affected by this, the local people of East Millinocket, Medway, and Patton, voted with 73% opposed to the park. They voted against it because they live there, and they know that the proposed park is mostly cut over land with nothing spectacular <coughs> or historical about it that would attract tourists. Shouldn't local opinion matter? They shouldn't be forced down their throats. Has a National Park its requirements where the only criteria to be a national park is for some wealthy person to give them a piece of land? Baxter Park, adjacent to this land, has ten times the beauty, is over twice as big... It only attracts 63,000 people per year. It employs 21 full-time and 40 seasonal workers. The PAC opponents are trying to mislead you into thinking the pack can employ 400 to 1,200 people. No way. With 80 million people, this Earth's population is increasing 80 million people every year, we need to have wood for those people, to build housing for those people in the future. Thank you. Thanks, Jimmy.
6: Jarvis, my name is Jean Drexel. I was born in Island Falls, Maine, and spent my early childhood in Sherman Station. I'm still a resident of the state of Maine. In 2010, President Obama uh, nominated Roxanne Quimby uh, on the board of the National Park Foundation. Before that and since that time, she has donated huge sums of money to Obama and to the National Park Service. How can this not be considered a conflict of interest when she's on the board uh, and one of many very wealthy members of the board, yet she is the first and only to ask for a national monument? It looks like a, a conflict of interest, and there are many in the state who feel it's bought and paid for already. Thank
9: you. Uh, My name is Mary Adams, Um, I was forest activist of the year, named by American Pulpwood Association, after the defeat of the Comcast. I watched the environmental movement try and get a beachhead in Maine. And Mr. Jarvis, that's what this is, it's got a lot of window dressing on it, but Gerald Levine, I believe, is absolutely right. This goes back 25 years when I first spoke about federal and environmental manhandling of main landscapes. I came to speak today because nobody should have to put up with this for 25 years. In the interim, the governor has come out against it. The legislature has, has voted at least twice uh, to not go further with this plan of federalizing part of Maine woods for whatever reason. The counties have spoken, some of the towns have spoken, and now my second district congressman is getting involved. What I'm saying is I'm sorry you're here today because this should have been put to bed within the last 25 years. This is an insult to the people of Maine. It looks like a bank uh, room deal to us. And uh, Mrs. Drexel mentioned the, the uh, relationship of, of, of Mrs. Quimby uh, to the National Park Foundation. I'm sick of it all. It's going far too long. If you were, were a great politician Agnes, you would have gotten this off our backs before now. <laughs> I'm, I it. We should not, as many people, have to be tortured decade after decade that the feds are going to come in. So do something now. Send Mr. Jarvis back with some lobsters for crying out loud and get us out of here.
12: Good evening, Senator King and Record Jarvis. I apologize for my voice. The pollen, has the best of it. I've also fished, canoeed, hunted, hiked, camped in these lands, east of Penobscot, And I'm from Massachusetts. I know that's not a good thing to say in parts of Maine, but it is the There's a group called store from Boston. They seem to be key in this park or monument movement. They have been doing so for a long time, two and a half decades. We've got a bunch of trees. Some bows, couple rivers, and some mountains up in this area. It's pretty area to camp. I don't think everybody's really concerned with the mountain views. Um may take this a little jab, but uh, there have been governors in the past in the state of Maine that have made uh, quite a bit of money off of blowing the tops off of mountains, and maybe that'll be their monument is an, an old windmill that's rusting up in the at hull on the edge of the mountain. There's something called U.N. Agenda 21 Forever Wildlands Project, and that is something that was referred to by one of the ladies on the Pearl side about the Forever Wildlands. That was brought up time and time again. I encourage people to look into that. We have another issue. We've got $20 trillion in national debt and counting. The United States government is bankrupt. It cannot afford to oversee anything else in the state of Maine. I remember we had a budget fiasco some years ago down in Washington, D.C. And one of the issues that they had was we're going to shut off the national parks for the World War II veterans that want to come in and see it. We want to have control of this land in the state of Maine. State of Maine can add this to Babson State Park. If we give seed control of this land to the federal government, there's another issue that comes up. And I haven't heard anyone else bring it up. What happens when you take this money off the tax rolls, the property tax rolls in this area? This is a very huge concern because what's going to happen is the county governments have a certain budget that they have to meet. The people who own property in this area are going to have to pick up the tag. A lot of these people are barely making it as it is now. If you increase the amount of taxes that they're going to have to pay, that's going to force more people out which I would say is part of the goal from some people. You push these people out, probably died as you're able to purchase more of land, you add it into this forever wildlands project from the United Nations Agenda 21. It feeds itself. They try and do is take away hunting, whether it's through the bear hunting referendum, two times now. I've seen all these things since I've come up here from mass. I get it. I know how these people work. I'm going to just say, and and say, uh, I'm opposed to this. I want no monument in Maine. I want the fence to stay out. If the family would like to donate their land, I'd say do it to Baxter State Park. With all due respect, keep the federal government out. Thank you. Thank you
1: listening to Maine Currents on WERU. I'm Amy Brown here with John Greenman, who has something to say.
2: Well, I'd like to say that number in case it uh, it tweaks you towards the phone. 1-800-643-6273. We are fundraising for the future of WERU, and we do count on you. About 28% of you, actually, 28% of our income comes from pre- people who respond to this voice saying one eight hundred six four three six two seven three. 643 6273 Now, you're hearing both sides of the story, and uh, there was a concern for that earlier. There's going to be a little bit more coming up, and it's fascinating stuff. If you think so, too, maybe you can't get away from the phone or get away from the radio right now to make the call. But think about doing it at the end of the show. 1-800-643-6273. And don't forget, weru.org. Whatever way, however you do it, however much you do it, think about the future of your listening on weru
1: that's right and we know it's hard during public affairs shows to ask you to go to the phone because i'm asking you to listen to this and then i'm asking you to go to the phone if you go to the phone later that's fine but just support independent media on weru all your local news and national news and international news and public affairs programming that you get here so Like I said before, if you were listening, we are going to go now to what the director of the U.S. National Park Service had to say in response. He wrote down all the questions that everyone had, and there was a lot more, pro and con. Like I said, the overwhelming majority of people at this thing in Orono were in support of the National Monument designation. But he wrote down all the questions that were raised by people who were opposed to it, and uh, he had responses for them. So that's what we're going to now. Director Thomas.
13: Run through the questions, please. (laughs) Okay, thank you. Um, I want to echo uh, what the senator said. You know, I've done uh, probably hundreds, maybe many, many hundreds of public meetings uh, in my 40 years, and I really do love them. I really do. I think that the you are participating in something that is unique in the world. Uh, This kind of participatory democracy. Of listening to both sides in a respectful, uh, honored way is is something we should never take for granted uh, in this nation.
4: Um, let me...
13: So let me run down my list here. Okay, Brett, um, you asked um, uh, about the maintenance backlog. Um, so yes, the Park Service has a maintenance backlog. It's about twelve billion dollars. It's a lot of money. Uh, let me explain what that is. So, the Park Service about half of that backlog uh, is our road system. We have 5,000 miles of paved road. We have 1,400 bridges. Uh, we have tunnels. It's the entire sort of transportation infrastructure of the of how you drive around in the Yellowstone and Grand Teton and all those all those parks. Congress just passed the transportation bill. Uh, A five-year bill, the Park Service is going to get $268 million a year. That goes to $300 million uh, annually to address the transportation side of the backlog. The other half of that backlog are sort of the wastewater treatment plants, the water systems, the utilities, electrical power, um, and the buildings, the visitor centers, uh, historic homes, Independence Hall. Statue of Liberty, by the way, which does belong to the federal government. Um, <laughs> I should know I manage the Statue of Liberty, it's still open and available to all Americans. Um, so we are addressing our backlog in a number of ways. Um, um, private philanthropy, um, A very, very generous uh, individual in Washington, D.C. has been giving us millions and millions of dollars through the National Park Foundation to address maintenance backlog and some of our icons, like the Lincoln Memorial, the Washington Monument, the Iwo Jima Marine Corps Memorial, all are being repaired with private money right now. Um, And Congress has been very generous in the 16 budget, and we have a very uh, robust request into the 17 budget as well. We also use our fees. Uh, to address maintenance backlog, So we're, we're absolutely taking it all. Um, Brad also had the question about expansion. The Park Service, by Congressional Act, has no authority to use eminent domain unless Congress specifically authorizes it in a specific location, which they have done, most recently, in the Everglades. But for the rest of the national park system, we do not have any authority to condemn property, and we would not condemn property. It's, it's a bad idea. Uh, so you can put aside any fears associated with this potential designation. If there's any interest in expanding beyond 8,700 or 8, 87,500 acres that comprise a hard boundary that of the EPI lands that are in question. Um, Roger asked about private lands affected on the boundary, and I want to assure you there are there is no effect to the private lands on the boundary So I was said this morning um, I worked at Crater Lake National Park and there were timber lands, active uh, working lands on the boundary, and we used to walk with the, uh, the Timber cruisers along the boundary. I did it myself to select trees And if the center of the tree was on leaning on the inside, it stayed in the park. If it was leaning out, it got cut it was that. So we're talking about inches, not, you know, no buffers. There are no buffers here at all. Don asked about guide services. And we heard from some guides that are quite successful. And I'm, I'm sorry, Don, if you've run into some issues with, with being not friendly uh, to guides. We need guides. And I, I think if this place is established, we are particularly going to need private guides to provide that kind of experience, The, you know, the public come to national parks, um, and there's a limited number of us in the green and gray. It's really the people that live there um, and that understand it. if you go to Gettysburg, um, you can get incredible step-on guides that know the history, uh, and they're wonderful experiences. And so I think if this were established, huge opportunity for those of you that know the forest, that have worked in the forest, know the history, know the plants, know the animals, know where to see a goose, that's going to be incredibly important uh, for this as well. Um, Al asked again about restrictions on nearby lands, and again I want to reinforce that there would be no, no restrictions on, on nearby lands. Bob asked about snow machine use. So, national parks, most many of our winter parks allow snow machines. Uh, you probably read the paper many, many times about Yellowstone uh, and the snow machine used there, which is incredibly popular. That is an area that's figured out how to run a four-season tourist operation. They're very busy in the summer with the regular tourists. In the winter, they've got uh, snow machining in the fall, they're elk hunting, uh, spring, uh, visitors coming in to, to see the melt-out. So the snow machine, as I understand the way this Proposal is being made is that on the lands on the east side of the Penobscot River um, There will be a permanent snow machine route north to south established maintained by volunteers maintained by the land managers to allow and maintain that that traditional north-south route Um, So I think that's a that's a positive aspect as well Gene, you asked about conflict of interest with Roxanne Quimby on the National Park Foundation board. So let me explain who the National Park Foundation board is. They're wealthy people. We like wealthy people because they give us their money. Um, um, And and they know other wealthy people who also give us their money. Um, And philanthropy has always been a part of the National Park system. Um, We have always had um, this relationship with wealthy people. as was mentioned, John D. Rockefeller, uh, who gave us milk, many of the lands in Acadia, also gave money to maintain the carriage trails um, and to build those trails and to brush those trails. Many, many, many thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars as well. So let's say that we're just not, somebody gives us a piece of property and we say automatically it's a national park just because you're giving it to us. It doesn't work that way. We have to. We have a very high standards in the National Park Service. That it's an exclusive recognition, and one of the things that the Park Service likes to have in its sort of inventory for the American people is sort of the best of the best, you know. Um, and we look at these and we say, do we already have all of those? We have. We have no representation in the National Park System of anything like the forests and the lakes of Northern Maine. There's there's nothing in the park system like that.
5: And I want to say right up front, we don't want it
13: all. We don't want three million acres or whatever that is. We, what we want is a piece of it. What we'd like to have is a piece of it to show as an example for the rest of the world the beauty that all of you know and love here in Maine. And this particular piece of property has all those elements. It's got incredible forest, cut over, of course, at second, maybe third growth. there, that's okay. It's got lakes, it's got Penobscot River, and the Savoys, and it, uh, it's got views, obviously, of Baxter, and the it's got wildlife, so you, it is absolutely worthy. Let me just put that on the bed. It is if, you make, if you want to make the argument it's not worthy on the natural side, it's worthy on the cultural side uh, as well. So. <laughs> In terms, of, in terms of its Native American history, the routes that the Native Americans use up and down the rivers, and as has been mentioned, Henry David Thoreau, Theodore Roosevelt, and many others as well. Um, hunting. Uh, Jerry brought up a question from the Sportsman's Alliance about hunting. Um, so right now, the lands that, that EPI manage are not open to hunting. Uh, on the west side of the Penobscot. They are open, as I understand it, on the east side, and that's not going to change. That—that That is the way that we would manage it if it were so to come to us, that the lands west of the Penobscot, up against Baxter, would be managed without hunting, and the lands on the east side of the Penobscot, where we were talking about the snow machine routes, would be open to hunting, and that would be in perpetuity This is something to remember. This is in perpetuity uh, designation. Uh, Mary, you brought up the question of why has this been a slog? It's always a slog. (laughs) Uh, There are park proposals that have gone on for 50 years uh, uh, or longer. Um, And I know it's painful uh, that this seems to go on and on and on. But it's just the way things work, unfortunately. Um, George brought up, um, Acadia is, has the potential to be gridlocked. And I would say occasionally it already is gridlocked over there. I sat and tried to get off that island a couple times in the line of traffic as well. And, And so one of the things that we've been doing in the national park system is to offer alternatives to the public. You know, instead of going to Yosemite at this particular time and sitting in traffic, there are other alternatives. You look at Sequoia and Kings Canyon National Parks, they get like a quarter of a visitation to Yosemite and we're saying, try one of these others as well. So that is part of the issue, is where do we distribute the public as they're coming? Um, Chip brought up uh, tax rolls. So federal lands, should this come to the National Park Service, are subject to payment in lieu of taxes. It's built. Uh, payment in lieu of taxes is a federal appropriation that goes to local counties in lieu of the tax base, recognizing that if lands are brought into the federal government, you lose local taxes. So there is a payment uh, to uh, uh, to uh, counties uh, in lieu of taxes. Um, Chip also brought up the question of access to Great Ponds. That's that statute in. In May, so absolutely great cons. Uh, we we would respect that. We would honor that uh, uh, that legal right as well.
1: Uh, you're listening to Maine Currents on WERU, and who you've been hearing is Jonathan Jarvis, the director of the U.S. National Park Service. He's answering questions raised Monday at the Collins Center at University of Maine at a forum about designating 87,500 acres of land donated by the Quimby family, family as the Katahdin Woods and waters national monument and we'll continue on with the uh, last half of that but we have some people to thank we want to thank star and Trenton who says thanks to Amy Brown that's me thank you star and the whole programming staff and John you have some people to thank A as well of people
2: yes Boyd from Augusta additional gift uh, Maine Currents loves WRU thanks Amy Brown I wonder why uh, Olenka from Brooklyn an additional uh, gift Amy is, is doing an incredible service for this state I totally agree thank Kudos. you both
1: so much and uh, we didn't mention this earlier because we didn't know but we have just found out that we will be giving way, at the end of the week, uh, we usually do our drawing for the public. all the public affairs blocks, both the 10 to 11 call-in shows and anyone who calls in during the 4 to 6 p.m. block, anytime during those time slots, Monday through Friday this week, will be entered into the watering can for a drawing that we'll be holding on Friday at the beginning of Democracy Now in the evening, and we will be giving away appropriately enough a copy, a signed copy, of Amy Goodman's newest book, uh, Democracy Now, 20 Years Covering the Movements Changing America. So call one 800-643-6273 anytime between now and uh, the end of the public affairs block at 6 o'clock and get your name in the watering can but if you do it between now and uh, say 5.05 or so we'll be able to thank you on the air so 1-800-643-6273 and now back to the last part of the uh, answers session at the uh, public meeting that took place at the call-in center on Monday
13: Anita and um, about how can local communities help and I mentioned this a lot this morning when I was in Millinocket um, and in in East Millinocket as well is that should this happen um, the first thing that the National Park Service does is to land on the ground the next day and engage the communities and sit down uh, across the table with a cup of coffee and in in meeting spaces uh, and in the evenings Make sure it's in the mornings uh, for quite a while, because we want to know what the community wants. We want to know what the community expects, what the community needs, uh, and how we can help those communities uh, that will be affected, uh, both positively and potentially negatively as a result of this, of this potential designation. Uh, Jimmy asked about Spruce Buttermilk and fire. Um, the uh, the National Park Service is part of the interagency fire effort um, where we work very cooperatively with our with our state and federal partners on fire. Yes, we have a lot of fires. They're, they're just going into fire season in the west right now. We did have a 10,000-acre fire in Shenandoah. We participate very actively with all of our, our uh, fellow agencies. There's one thing where the federal government actually works very well in is in fire, and I've, I've been in fire management almost all of my career as well. The number of jobs is all over the map. It's very hard to pin down. What percentage of visitors, this is another question from Jimmy, uh, and, and talking about uh, up in Voyagers and, and International Falls and other areas. Um, the advantage here that I think you can get some predictability is that Acadia is just downhill. And there are 2.7 million visitors going there. And Bangor is, you know, a a center point of tourism access, fly in, rent a car. If there's another park unit nearby, they're going to come. They're not going to blow it off, as opposed to other isolated parks out there in the system. So I don't know what percentage. uh, I really don't know what percentage. But like we said, if it's If it's 10%, that's 270,000 people. So it's still a lot of people as well. Um, Logan asked about ecological impacts, about ATV use, UTVs. Um, Probably not very much of that is going to be permitted on these lands. But there are plenty of other opportunities in the area. So if you think about, like, the Southern Utah in the Canyon lands. Uh, Arches area, and I think the Senator even mentioned that that you go into Moab and you can go on Jeep trips, you can do you can rent ATVs, you can go on uh, all these, but those are adjacent lands. And so when you really look at a diversified recreational opportunity, uh, this is an opportunity that could really be developed in the area. Um, Teresa asked about what are the differences between designations and whether or not um, oil and gas could be developed. No, oil and gas uh, will be is permanently eliminated from any development uh, on these uh, on these lands if they were to be donated uh, to the National Park Service. We have... yeah, no mining, none of that kind of stuff can occur on these lands. David asked about the endowment. Uh, The way that it's currently being structured is that $20 million would be vested in the National Park Foundation. They would carry it uh, in an investment account um, so that the corpus is protected, uh, and the the revenues generated off of that would be used directly uh, at this park, um, and that the commitment has been made to raise a second $20 million over the next three years, so that there is a total of $40 million uh, invested uh, to spark That's unprecedented. I mean, just put that right up front. Nothing like that has ever happened. Um, there was a question about takeover of Baxter, and we have no interest zero interest in taking over Baxter. What we have an interest in, if this occurs, is working very much in partnership with Baxter. Baxter... (laughs) Percival Baxter didn't want to give it to the government because we probably would have overdeveloped it. He wanted it as a wilderness park. And that's what it is. It is a wilderness park. It's very limited in terms of, I think it's got 65,000 visitors a year, and that's pretty much all it can probably handle based on the way it is managed, and I'm not questioning that. But I think these lands, we would look as a complement to that, which would be much more active in terms of public use, of recreation, in terms of access, in terms of activities, than Baxter. So it's a very strong complement. And we have models of this in Redwood National and State Parks, uh, where we work completely side by side and very cooperatively with the California State Park system. And I know Baxter is not really technically part of the State Park system, uh, but it's a very good model of how we work cooperatively as well. Um, Matt raised a couple of the, the classic questions, and I'll just touch on them. No change to air quality regulations, no imposing of class one. That is something that happened in 1977 in the Amendments in the Clean Air Act that directly affected Acadia, new parks, but it has no effect. So there would be no impact if there was some new development of a mill, some new emission uh, effect, that has no impact. This designation has no impact on that whatsoever.
1: We're going to have to end there. There was about three and a half more minutes of what uh, Director Jarvis from the U.S. National Park Service had to say in response to questions. Again, if you want to hear the full recording of this meeting that took place at the Collins Center Monday, go to WERU's Facebook page. There is a link there, and uh, it's up on a SoundCloud account. It's about three hours and 16 minutes long, but it's completely unedited, and you can listen from start to finish there. And that's just all we have time for today on Maine Currents. You can uh, catch Main Currents here every Wednesday afternoon at 4 o'clock. We specialize in independent local news, views, and culture. I'm Amy Brown here with John Greenman, who's usually running the controls. Uh, sort of my uh, Main Currents teammate here. And today we are going to be asking you again for your donations and thanking some people. But I just...
2: <clears throat> if you... To say in your stead. Thanks, you, I lose my voice. <laughs> if you get your voice back, you yes. can
1: continue. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I just wanted to say that uh, next week on Main Currents, we will be going back to the format of election call ins, which we did last week. We've been trying to do twice a month, although in June and July, I think we'll be doing it once a month. But if people want to call in and talk about the elections, join us again on Main Currents next week. We'll be doing that. We'll have a couple of Republicans, a couple of Democrats, a couple of Greens here in the studio. So, I'm going to play the announcements and then we're going to come back and thank some people and give you that phone number again, 1-800-643-6273 and tell you why you should call it.
4: Support for WERU comes from
3: Maine.